There's a couple of uh, YouTube channels that I like to follow. Uh, mostly it's like fail videos and you know weird geek out stuff that I like, like biblical archaeology or medieval history or something like that. But I watch a couple of channels that are by doctors, uh, just because I find it interesting. And, and one in particular goes through and reacts to like TikTok videos. Basically, horrific medical advice that is on TikTok videos. And I was watching one of these the other night, and uh, so this doctor is completely aghast because this woman on TikTok takes out a full stick of butter, takes it out of the refrigerator, takes the full stick of butter, and then dips it in a jar of spaghetti sauce and proceeds to eat the whole stick of butter, you know, dip by dip by dip. And he's going crazy, you know, talking about the cholesterol and her arteries closing and the heart attack that she should be having. And she's just talking about how this is dope. Uh, and then I watched another one where there was this girl that was talking about sometimes it's not convenient to I'm not really sure if this is an appropriate sermon illustration. Sometimes, it, you know, you don't want to be on your period. And so she discovered a way to get off of her period, which basically involved tequila and limes. And the doctor is like, if you drink enough tequila shots, it'll stop everything, not just your period. And, but people watch this stuff and people do this stuff. And it just kind of reminded me that who we listen to affects what quality of advice we get. Who we listen to affects whether we get the truth or not. Who we listen to affects our behavior. Who, if, who we listen to affects our level of peace or anxiety. Who we listen to affects who we're becoming, which is important to remember because we are all becoming someone. And that kind of sets us up for what the Apostle Paul is going to talk about in Ephesians chapter 4 today, verses 17 through 24. So I tell you this, and insist on it in the Lord, that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do, in the futility of their thinking. They're darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, They've given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity, and they are full of greed. That, however, is not the way of life you learned when you heard about Christ and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds, and to put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Paul starts in verse 17 and he says, you must no longer live as the Gentiles do. And the word live there is the word walk, like last week. So I, that idea of having a journey. But what's interesting about this is that there is an assumption that Paul is making that the people that he's writing to, the church, Jesus followers, are still living the way the Gentiles do. And so in some ways, verse 17 is really the pivotal point of Ephesians. It's like Paul is saying, okay, now you have to make a decision. Are you gonna keep walking the way that you were? Are you gonna to decide to walk in the way of Jesus? And the rest of the letter is just gonna take care of the details, the impact of that decision. And so Paul's saying, you gotta quit walking the way that the Gentiles do. They're on a journey, you're going somewhere, so stop going where the Gentiles are going because it's not gonna take you to a healthy place. And 
maybe this is enough for the sermon. There's never been a time in my life where I believe it's been more critical that Jesus followers get very serious about following Jesus. Not to promote a political party or a political cause, not to champion a social issue, but to follow Jesus by leading changed lives that are characterized by love and grace, by living humbly, acknowledging that we've done nothing to deserve the grace that we've received. So I think we all have to make a decision, and I think it's critical. Are we going to take following Jesus seriously? Are we going to keep walking the way that the culture is walking? Now, it's also interesting to me in this passage that Paul's primary concern is not with a list of specific sins. Paul is not saying, stop doing this, stop doing that. Paul's not saying, how can you call yourself a follower of Jesus when you do this? Like, we're tempted to do with other people. But that's not what Paul is concerned about here. What Paul is concerned about is having distorted minds. And I think this is so fresh. I mean, how did we get to a point in the culture and in the church where our thinking is so distorted, where our thinking is warped, where I spend so much time going, what is that person thinking? In 1994, Mark Knoll wrote a book entitled The Scandal of the Evangelical Mind. And he begins his assessment of the problem by saying, the scandal of the evangelical mind is that there is not much of an evangelical mind. Which really cuts to the problem is, are we thinking Christianly enough? And is our Christian thinking impacting the way that we live our lives? How we got to a point where the evangelical mind is lacking is a mystery because our faith focuses on being transformed in our mind, on clinging to truth. So Paul is concerned here about distorted thinking. He says in verse 17, in the futility of their thinking, they're darkened in their understanding, they're separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Futility there means meaninglessness, or emptiness, or worthlessness, or uselessness. Paul is describing all these people who are spending their time thinking about meaningless and worthless things. Marcus Bart wrote, with one single word, futility, Paul describes the majority of the inhabitants of the Greco-Roman Empire as aiming with silly methods at a meaningless goal. I think that still holds true. I mean, I'm surrounded a lot of the time by people who are very busy about their lives that have very little meaning. People who spend a lot of time and money chasing after some elusive, shallow goal. They're futile in their thinking. They're darkened in their understanding. They can't seem to find the light. They can't seem to find what's right or what's good because of the ignorance in them. And ignorance is not so much not knowing as it is knowing but not doing. And Paul says it's due to the hardening of their hearts. If your heart is hard, you just don't care. Whether it's a, you know, eat, drink, and be merry for tomorrow we die kind of not caring, or I'm gonna have what I want when I want it and I don't care who gets hurt for me to get it kind of hardness or uncaring, or just a not caring about a callousness about other people and their condition. 
their hearts are hard towards other people. And verse 19 sort of explains it a little bit. Having lost all sensitivity, they've given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity, and they're full of greed. Having lost all sensitivity, and lacking sensitivity is connected all the way down to greed in Paul's list. To lose all sensitivity, it might be, you know, it's a sensitive subject, but you're not sensitive to it anymore. Or you're no longer sensitive to the plight of other people. Or you've had so much of something, usually something bad, that it requires more of that thing to just get you to the place where you want to be. I remember years ago watching The West Wing, and Leo McGarry, the chief of staff in the show, was an alcoholic, and he was talking about alcoholism one day. And he said, the problem is, I don't want one drink, I want 10 drinks. Because it takes 10 drinks to get him to the place where, at the beginning, one did. And that's so characteristic of how losing sensitivity and sensuality works in our lives when we give ourselves over to that. And Paul says, we've lost sensitivity, we've given ourselves over to sensuality, which is basically, what is going to please me right now in this moment? What feels good? It could be food, it could be drinks, it could be drugs, it could be sex, it could be stuff, it could be power. All of that stuff is sensual. And it's kind of a fleeting thing. That's why we need more, because the buzz wears off. And because we need more, it becomes greed. And greed always demands more. And that's what lust is. It's an uncontrollable desire for more. And so, so many people spend their whole lives trying to satiate a desire that will never be sated. Martin Luther's definition of sin was homo incurvatus in se, a human being curved in upon themselves. I think it's really poetic. People can no longer see anyone else, can no longer see how they fit into a group or to a family or to a society or how their actions affect anyone else. All they care about is their own personal needs. A person curved in upon themselves. So this is not a really pretty picture that Paul is painting. And it's not how we want to be. And so he continues on at verse 20. That, however, is not the way of life you learned. That literally, that is, you did not learn the Christ this way. You didn't learn the Christ this way. No parallel exists for that in ancient times or in other religions for learning a person. And that's really what following Jesus is about. We're learning a person. It's one of the most unusual things about Christianity. We're following a person to become like that person. We don't worship a book. We don't worship a set of doctrines. We worship a person. You can have the book memorized and not look a thing like Jesus. The value of the book is in its pointing to Jesus because that's what we want to become. We want to learn Jesus. And since that's the goal, since ideally we're being transformed to be more like Jesus, we're walking that direction, I don't understand cynical, hard, angry Christians because Christianity is all about hope. Hope for me personally and hope for the world. I don't understand cynical, hard, angry Christians, but I know how they get that way. For the love of God, turn off the news. 
give up social media because those are the things that are forming you, not Jesus. I mean, nine times out of ten, I just look at puppy videos, you know, because it's light and makes me happy. There is nothing on social media that's calling me to be my highest and best self. It's usually quite the opposite. One of my New Testament professors, Klein Snodgrass, in his commentary on this book said, our primary ethicists today are popular singers, actors, and talk show hosts, and I would add social media influencers. Surely Christians have something better to say. And I think he's right. If you spent more time watching Game of Thrones than you did in your small group, I guarantee you were changed more by Game of Thrones. If you spend more time keeping up with the Kardashians than you do keeping up with Corinthians, I guarantee you'll look more like Kim. If you spend more time watching the news than you do with the New Testament, it will be no wonder that you are anxious and angry instead of filled with peace and hope. So, stop it. Seriously. So I have a challenge for you and a challenge for me. It won't take you any time. In fact, it will save you time. It won't cost you any money. And if you don't see any change, it comes with a money-back guarantee. Well, that's not true. But I guarantee you'll be different if you take the challenge. So here's the challenge. For the remainder of the month of August, take five minutes per day for news. That's all you need. Anything more than that is just a rehash. You get five minutes per day to look at the news, to watch the news, read the news, however you want to do it, five minutes. You can get the headlines even if you're watching TV. You get five minutes per day for social media updates. That's it. You can catch up with all your friends. You can tell them what you're doing right in that very instant. You can still post your selfies, but you only get five minutes to do that. And I'll do it too. I'll quit in the evening watching idiots try to kill themselves. And then take five minutes per day to read the Gospel of Matthew. Five minutes for news, five minutes for social media, five minutes for the Gospel of Matthew. Why Matthew? Because at the, the very end of the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus says, teach people everything I have commanded you. The Gospel of Matthew is filled with the teachings of Jesus. You want to know what to think about fill in the blank? Start with reading the Gospel of Matthew, and odds are you'll be able to fill that in. Because if the, if the problem is a distorted mind, the solution is the renewing of your mind. Last week we talked about how one of the marks of immaturity is not knowing where to find truth. Well, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus says, you'll know the truth and the truth will set you free. The truth will not enslave you. And that's what a lot of the truth that gets kicked around today does. It ultimately enslaves you. You used to believe that getting drunk would solve all your problems or would make life more bearable, or at least make sure you were having a good time. But you found out that it doesn't do any of those things. So now you need to pursue the higher power that will truly give you what alcohol did not. Maybe you have a distorted view of your body, that you have to look a certain way, you have to weigh a certain amount, you have to be a certain height, you have to have a certain look about you. And you've discovered that you can never have those things and you need to hear the truth that you don't need to, that your body's fine the way it is. Or maybe you have this distorted view of what success looks like, that you have to have these things, you have to have achieved these things by this age of life, you have to have this direction, otherwise you've failed. 
But those are all untruths. Those are things that we need to put off and not live in anymore. Because a key component of following Jesus is the belief that things can be different. That it doesn't always have to be the same. You don't have to be treated that way. You don't have to be in an abusive relationship. You don't have to live the rest of your life with the baggage that was given to you as a child. Part of what we get with Jesus is an imagination, is a hope that something can be different. So how do we start down that road? Well, Paul says in verse 22, put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds, and to put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. So put off your old self. Identify those things that belong to your old pre-Jesus life. These websites, they're not going to bring me closer to Jesus. They're not going to help me love people. They're not going to be good for my key relationships. This way of thinking, I'm not a victim anymore. I deserve better than that. My response, I don't have to let anger control me. I mean, whatever. What are those things that were a part of your pre-Jesus life? Identify those things. And then when some of those things come across your mind, it's like, wait, old thinking, old habits. I'm going to take that off like an old shirt that got stained. We have to consciously put those things off. And that leads to be made new in your minds. This is kind of crazy, but we can actually influence our own minds. I've been reading several articles by, you know, neuroscientists, much smarter than me, completely different field, and they've actually been talking about the difference between our minds and our brains. And the brain is the physical thing, the mind is what we think, and our thinking can train our brain. What we spend our time on literally creates new pathways in our brain that literally change us physiologically. Now, we are thick with psychiatrists, psychologists, and neurologists, so I'm not going any further down that path, but it's just crazy to think that your thinking can literally change your brain, which is what Paul is talking about. And he says this a little bit differently in Romans chapter 12, verse 2. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Our minds can be changed. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. If our minds are renewed and changed, and we've put off the old way of life, then we'll have a much better chance of connecting deeply with God. So how do you renew your mind? Well, take the five-minute challenge or decide that you'll invest in a three-to-one mentoring relationship. Join a small group. Talk to me. Come to church. I mean, what happens here is important. And I'm loving online because now with so many of you travel, you can still stay connected. Serve. Join us on CMJ Sunday. It's uncanny that when we serve people, we enter into other people's worlds that we do not normally enter into. And we experience things that we normally wouldn't experience. And it's amazing how often you find Jesus who is present with people who have needs. All of those things will help us to know Jesus and to become like Jesus. So when it comes to the great moral and social and ethical issues of our day, we need to know what Jesus actually said about things. We need to know what the attitude of Jesus is, not just what we believe and then we ask Jesus to baptize. 
So if we do those things, when you get to vote like in November, you'll have a much deeper sense of what God's will might be. You'll be more informed by Jesus. And then the third, put on the new shelf. It's like a clean shirt. It's new habits. It's new ways of thinking. It's focusing on different things. And those things will ultimately change our identity. It's what we used to call spiritual formation. Getting the truth, getting the truth into our minds, getting the truth into our hearts, and then getting the truth so deeply into our soul that it changes who we are. It's kind of the whole theology of baptism. You know, we die with Christ to our, self, our old selves and are raised up into a new changed life. And, and what that newness of life that we find as we put off the old self and put on the new, as we transform habits and thinking, what that newness of life looks like is incredibly important. I'm going to harp on this. The tsunami of people leaving the church is just mind-boggling. Now, I'm not talking about people who are never in the church, who don't want to hear about Jesus. I'm talking about people who are in the church, who for one reason or another don't want to be associated with a church or the church anymore because of stands that people have taken that they identify with as Christianity. And some of you know this pain deeply. You've been hurt by the church, or for some of you, you were at a church and your church changed and somehow lost keeping the gospel central. How we behave, how we characterize Jesus is incredibly important because we are seeing this mass exodus of people who don't believe what some people think is Christianity. So I think it calls for us to have a deep sense of humility. It's so easy to look at other people and see how they are wrong, but in the Bible, we're always encouraged to look at ourselves first. In Matthew chapter 7, verse 3, Jesus says, Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? If, if we want to make a list of sexual sins, if we want to make a list of sins of excess, if we want to make a list of what the Bible says marriage should look like and how sacred that should be, we may all be in trouble. We want to call people to Jesus, not to anything or anyone else, because Jesus can show them the truth. Jesus can show us the truth. Jesus can fulfill their deepest desires and longings. To call them to anything else and call it Christianity is just a perversion of the gospel. It's a serious misunderstanding of what the church exists for. A couple of days I was talking to a friend of mine who is Jewish, but nothing more than a secular Jew. And I haven't talked to him in a long time. And he's like, so how'd your church fare during the pandemic? Because he's heard the stories. He's well read. He knows about people leaving the church uh, in, in droves. And I said, well, number one, we didn't get involved in politics. We got involved in caring for people. And so I told him some of the things that we did over the pandemic and some of the things that we continued to do. And he was like, wow, that's really impressive. It's amazing that that's what your church is doing. I mean, he was surprised that we were investing in helping and loving people. And it's because we're learning the Christ. We're trying to model ourselves after Jesus and his priorities. John Mark Comer 
has some great stuff about this in his book, Live No Lies, uh, which I've been reading and a number of the guys group in our church have been reading, and maybe some of you have read that too. One quote really struck me. He's talking about something else. He says, this is why bad therapy is so incredibly toxic and dangerous. You're in the presence of an expert you come to trust, but then in that vulnerable place, the, the therapist speaks unreality into your mind. So we might not be in bad therapy, but I think we're all in a vulnerable place just because of what we have been through over the past two, four, or six years. We're in this vulnerable place and unreality gets spoken to us. Untruth gets spoken to us. Alternate facts get spoken to us. It's so much of what we see and hear on social media. It is not good for you to take a stick of butter and eat it with spaghetti sauce on it. But we can't live in unreality. We can't live in an alternate universe. We can't keep living like the culture if we want to be different, if we want to know peace, if we want to know the Messiah. So let me ask you three questions. What is an area of your life that you'd like to experience change in? Number two, what's one thing from your old life that you need to put off? And number three, what source of information is most impacting your thinking and your attitude?